If you have your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, open them to Genesis chapter 19, and we're going to be looking this morning at verses 1 through 29. And before I get started, I just want to ask that you guys be praying for Pastor Dane. He and his wife took kind of a, a, a little short trip out to western Kansas to see his family, and I, I hope and pray that it was refreshing to them to get away for a few days. And But it is my honor and privilege to be able to bring you a word from Genesis today. I'm not going to be asking you to stand as we normally do to read his word because we have 29 verses to cover. So we're going to be moving through this fairly quickly and chunk by chunk, piece by piece. Uh, but as we continue on this morning with our Genesis study, I want to point out this theme that runs all throughout Scripture from the very beginning to the very end, and that is of these two paths that we can take as human beings, these two paths that we're on. We see in Genesis when God created man and woman and he performed the first marriage ceremony right there in the garden to Genesis 3 when sin entered into the world. We see Cain and Abel and then the story of Noah and his sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And now we are to Abraham and Lot. And these two paths, the path of God and the path of the world are woven all throughout Scripture. And it is a question for all of us that we're going to have to answer. Which of these paths are we going to choose to take? And so we know that one leads to destruction. We're going to see that very clearly here today with Lot. And one leads to obedience and walking in the Lord, such as we see with Abraham. So today, we are going to focus on the life of Lot. It's really a sad picture of a believer uh, who goes astray. And we'll see the aftermath of what his decisions leave in his wake. And from the scripture that we're going to cover today, it is going to be a difficult thing for us to wrap our minds around that Lot was a righteous man. Some of these decisions, you're going to leave shaking your head like, what was he thinking but we look to the New Testament, the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter verses, or chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 calls him a righteous man. So somewhere along the lines, he figured this deal out and turned to God. But from what we see today, it is hard to imagine. And so um, we're going to see this tragic story of Lot. It's going to teach us that when believers are conformed, to this world, it results in destruction. So when, what do we know about Lot? Well, we know that he's Abraham's nephew. We see him back in Genesis chapter 12, and then again in chapter 13. If you remember, when they're coming out of Egypt with all of their possessions, they had so many livestock that they could not stay in one place together. There just wasn't enough grass to feed the animals. And their, their possessions were too many. So what did Abraham do, if you remember? Abraham said, Lot, you get first pick. I'll go where you don't go. And what did Lot do, if you remember it? In, in chapter 13, verses 10 through 13, it says, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the plain of the Jordan, as far as Zoar, was well watered everywhere. So Lot chose the entire plain of the Jordan for himself and set up his tent near Sodom. And... Pay close attention to verse 13 here. It says, Now the men of Sodom were evil, sinning immensely against the Lord. So here we see Lot choosing the Jordan River Valley because it looked good. 
It was everything that he dreamed of, where to live. He had plenty of grass and water for his possessions, for his animals. And now we're going to fast forward 24 years later from that point. And we're going to see Lot move from outside, remember it said near Sodom, to inside the city. And he is living this urban life of of leisure, not taking into consideration the things of the Lord. And so the aftermath of Lot's decisions and gradually falling away from his faith, once he left Abraham, it seems like he just gradually faded away here. He's going to end up escaping Sodom with only the clothes on his back, as we're going to see today. His wife is dead. He offers his two virgin daughters to an angry mob to do despicable things to them. Just horrible decision after horrible decision. And it ends up with him living in a cave in the mountains. And as we'll see next week in 30 through 38, his daughters getting him drunk and committing incest with him. Is that not a messed up deal or what? This is the life of Lot. And so it's a picture of a man who tried to gain it all, but in the end lost everything. He moved into an evil city, hung out with evil people, And it changed him. I want to point out again that we know from the New Testament, Lot ends up a righteous man. And so I want to point out 1 Corinthians 3.15 where Paul describes a believer such as Lot. Paul says he escapes though through fire. And so Lot makes it to heaven because of his belief in God And it was credited to him as righteousness, just like it was with Abraham. But it was by the skin of his teeth and smelling like smoke. So I pray that we learn many things from Lot's mistake today, so that we can live for God and put away the things of the world. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning just asking that you would change us through your word today. That we as believers can look to Lot's life with a a stark warning and see when we take our eyes off you, when we focus on the things of this world, that it does not end well. So God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move throughout this room today, that you would open hearts, that you would break down walls that we've built up so that you can, can change us from the inside out. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to look at five quick points today. Uh, The first is a path to gradually falling away. Genesis 19 verse 1 says this, The two angels entered Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in Sodom's gateway. When Lot saw them, he got up to meet them. He bowed with his face to the ground and said, My lords, turn aside to your servant's house, wash your feet and spend the night. Then you can get up early and go on your way. No, they said, we would rather spend the night in the square. But he urged them so strongly that they followed him and went into his house. He prepared a feast and baked unleavened bread for them as they ate. So again, we see Lot right here in the middle of this evil city living this lifestyle. And we know that he had some sort of responsibility because he was at the, at the gate welcoming new people to come in. But remember from last chapter, Genesis 18, these same visitors came to Abraham. 
And what did Abraham do? He threw an elaborate feast. He killed the the fatted calf and prepared a meal for them with curds and all this delicious food. And what do we see Lot do when these same visitors came to him? He made unleavened bread. It would be like the equivalent of us today putting some saltine crackers out and saying, here you go, have fun with that. Okay, very, very different than what Abraham did with these folks. So we see the heart behind this. The other thing I want to point out is their wives. If you remember in last chapter, Sarah, Abraham's wife, was right in the middle of preparing this meal. She was helping Abraham. There is no mention of Lot's wife in this text regarding this. And why do you think Lot urged these guys so strongly to stay with him? Well, remember, the city is evil. He knew what would happen to them if they went at night and stayed in the square. It would not end well. And so it was as if he was saying, nothing good happens when it's dark in Sodom. Now, most of you can recall this when you were younger. I hope that your parents uh, had something to do with you not staying out all hours of the night. But help me fill in this blank. Nothing good ever happens after four says midnight. Okay, your mom was way more lenient than mine. When, when, when the street lights came on, when it was dark enough for those lights to flicker, if we were not at home, we had something real special waiting for us when we got back. And it usually did not end well, right? Yeah, yeah. However, we know that nothing good happens when it's dark, especially in Sodom. And so here we see Lot and how he let the culture change him, and it resulted in a gradually falling away from God. Point two is this, the path of evilness. Verse four says, Before they went to bed, the men of the city of Sodom, both young and old, the whole population surrounded the house. They called out to Lot and said, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Send them out so that we can have sex with them. This is exactly why Lot did not want these guys to go into the middle of the town square. He knew these men were evil. But this is a picture of just how evil they were. And now we see what they said. And this wasn't just one or two people. It says, all the men, young and old, the whole population. Can you see now why the outcry of sin was so great in God's eyes? This is a powerful picture here of just how sinful they were. And so it was, it's obvious that homosexuality was very rampant in that society. It talks about it right here, what these men wanted to do to the guests. But it was not only that. Ezekiel 16, verses 49 and 15, sheds more light on the sins of Sodom. God said this, Sodom had pride, plenty of food, comfortable security, but didn't support the poor and the needy. They were haughty, which means arrogant or superior, and did detestable things before me. So I removed them when I saw this. This should be a warning for us today if I've ever heard a warning. In the United States of America in the year 2020 that we can look back and see how God viewed Sodom and how we should be living today. 
And then I also want to point out here, well, let's read verse 6 and 7 here. Verse 6 says this, Lot went to them at the entrance and shut the door behind him. He said, don't do this evil, my brothers. And so here, when Lot said this, this tells me that he knows these guys. He calls them brothers. He probably shops at their stores. He does business at their banks. He trades with them. He knows these guys. But this is a reminder for us today. Who do we call our friends? Who do we hang out with? Who are we associating with? Are they promoting the things of God to us, or are they trying to steer us towards the world? Let this be a warning for all of us about who we are hanging out with. And then what Lot does next is truly mind-blowing. Verse 8. Look, I've got two daughters who haven't been intimate with a man. I'll bring them out to you, and you can do whatever you want to them. However, don't do anything to these men, because they've come under the protection of my roof. I don't even know what to say to this. It's so unfathomable. I can't imagine Lot's thought process here. And so this is why it's hard to believe that Lot ends up a righteous man. But it's a good reminder that we've all said and done things that we wish we wouldn't have, right? We've all been places we wish we wouldn't have been. But God can take a guy like this with this thought process and turn him into a righteous man because of his grace and mercy. It's incredible. Verse 9, the crowd says, get out of the way, Lot. This, this one came to us as an alien, but he's acting like a judge. Now we'll do more harm to you than to them. They put pressure on Lot and came up to break down the door. Now remember, 24 years ago is when he moved near Sodom. We don't know how long exactly he lived inside the city gates, but we know that he's been there for a long time. He grew up with these people. But what's their response? Get out of the way or we're going to do worse to you than to them. These guys were so obsessed with doing evil, they would stop at nothing to fulfill their evil desires. They knew Lot, right? But yet they called him an alien, an outsider, And have we seen this play out in our society today? Anywhere? The world is just fine with us as Christians if we live inside our subdivisions, if we live inside our little houses, if we don't speak up about issues that matter, and if we keep our mouths closed. They are just fine with us being called Christians, right? But the minute Lot stood up, and said, this is wrong, they turned on him. Right? Let this be a warning to us today. But we are going to see God's continued mercy on Lot. Verse 10 here says, But the angels reached out, brought Lot into the house with them, and shut the door. They struck the men who were there in the entrance of the house, both young and old, with blindness, so that they were unable to find the entrance. God intervened when, they, when he knew that it was too much for Lot. These guys were about to do something terrible to them, but the angels reached out, pulled them back inside, shut the door, striking these men with blindness. Now, the original Hebrew kind of suggests that this is a state of confusion that they hit, that they hit these guys with, and that they physically were unable to see, they were confused, yet they, in their mind they knew what they wanted to do, 
and they physically wore themselves out, scratching and clawing to get to the door because how evil their hearts were wanting to get to these new guys. Is that not incredible? The type of evil that that would be is, is crazy. So, uh, the angels, let's see, where am I? Okay, here we are. Found my place again. Everybody relax. Everybody relax. It's okay. Rick's over here. He's our security guy. Rick, wave. Everything's fine. Okay. All right. So here we see just the evilness that lives in this city. Uh, Point three, we're going to read verse 12 here. The angels said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, a son-in-law, your sons and daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of this place, for we're about to destroy this place because of the outcry against its people were so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy us. Verse 14, So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were going to marry his daughters. Get up, he said, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his son-in-law thought he was joking. (laughs) And so here was Lot. He had one night, one shot, to go to as many people as he can to tell them the truth that God is about to destroy this town like something they'd never seen before and to get them to go with him outside the city, essentially saving their lives. And what does it say here? He went to them and said, get out, God's going to kill us. And what did they do? They laughed. They thought he was joking. And why did they think he was joking? Because they probably never heard the truth come out of his life, of his mouth before. They probably never heard him talk about the things of God. They probably never heard him talk about what God was doing in his life. So why in the world would they believe him now? And it was so far-fetched to them that it was a joke. This is amazing, but it's also a warning for us because, guys, what would happen if you go to your family, if you go to your friends right now and say, I just heard a word from the Lord. We're about to get destroyed. Come with me. What would their reaction be? What would your family's reaction be? What would your friend's reaction be? Would they say, we're coming with you? Or they're like, have you lost your mind? Why in the world will we follow you? You've never invested in our lives. You've never spoken truth to us before. Why now? Well, because now it's real. Okay, so that is why we as Christians in the year 2020 have to invest in people's lives. We have to get to know people. We have to build those relationships because when the time comes that you can share the gospel, when you can share the truth of God's word, that which is the only thing that's going to save us from from eternal damnation, you have an opportunity to do that and they will not laugh at you like we saw here. Moving on here, uh, verse, or in, in, uh, fourthly, the path of hesitation, point number four. Verse 15 says, At daybreak, the angels urged Lot on, said, Get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. And then verse 16 says this, But Lot 
hesitated. Because of the Lord's compassion for him, the men grabbed his hand and his wife's hand and the hands of his two daughters, and they brought him out and left him outside the city. As soon, verse 17, as soon as the angels got them outside, one of them said, Run for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere on the plain. Run to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please. Your servant has indeed found favor with you, and you have shown me great kindness by saving my life. But I can't run to the mountains. The disaster will overtake me, and I will die. Verse 20, Look, this town is close enough for me to flee. It's a small place. Please let me run to it. It's only a small place, isn't it? So that I can survive. And he said to him, All right, I'll grant your request about this matter too, and will not demolish the town you mentioned. Hurry up, run for it, for I cannot do anything until you get there. Therefore, the name of the city is Zoar. I want to look closely at verses 15 and 16 here. The angels urged Lot to get out or you will die. And what did Lot do? He hesitated. Some of the translations say he lingered. Like, what are you, you just want to wrap your arms around his neck and be like, what are you doing? How many times do we have to tell you to get out? We know what's coming. But this would be like the equivalent of you or I walking down the street, a robber comes up to us, points a gun right at your face and says, give me everything you have or I will kill you. And it would be like you saying, um, can I think about this for a minute? I mean, that's essentially what Lot is doing here. The angels are saying, get out, you're going to die. And he hesitated, he lingered, as the word says here. And so his roots in the city of Sodom were so deep that he could not convince himself to leave, even with the impending destruction on the way. Folks, when we know we have a clear path from God, when we know that God is telling us what to do, we cannot hesitate. We cannot linger somewhere we should not be. We must act on it and we must act immediately and be obedient to what God is calling us to do. I'm throwing this next phrase in for my mom because she told me this about 700 times when I was growing up. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Okay, so when we delay on what God is doing, we are being disobedient. But out of an act of divine mercy, the angels grabbed Lot and his wife and his two daughters, literally dragging them out of the city. And even after all of this, what is Lot's next reaction? He still cannot let this lifestyle go. He bargains with these angels that instead of moving to the mountains, let him move to this little city of Zoar. In, in Lot's mind, you can, you can see the wheels turning here. The sins of this little city can't be near as big as the sins of this big city, so I can just go here and still have my city lifestyle, not change a, way, not change a thing in my life, but I can still be part of the easy life. Unbelievable. And then fifthly and lastly is the path of destruction. Verse 23 says, The sun had risen over the land when Lot reached Zoar. Then out of the sky, the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, burning sulfur from the Lord. He demolished these cities, the entire plain, and all the inhabitants of the city, and whatever grew on the ground. Complete and utter destruction. 
geographically where these cities once were is now the lowest point in elevation anywhere in the world. It's 1,355 feet below sea level. I cannot help but imagine that this was not always the case. In my mind, I just see the destruction that God rained down from heaven as so severe that this is now a lifeless pit. If you'll draw your attention to the screen, there's a picture there. This was once, as we saw in Genesis chapter 13, where Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw the Jordan River Valley. Lush with green grass, flowers, well watered with fresh water. And now, this is a picture today of the Jordan River Valley where Sodom and Gomorrah once were. Is that not unbelievable? And so, verse 26, Lot's wife looked back and became a pillar of salt. So here, if any of you are wondering what happened to Lot's wife, since she wasn't helping Lot prepare the saltine crackers for the visitors earlier, this is the next thing we see, that she looked back and became a pillar of salt. Just a few verses earlier, the angel said, do not look back. And I think there's two reasons, two main reasons, why she looked back. She didn't want to leave. If you look back to something, you, you want to see what's going on there. You want to be there. She didn't want to leave. She was probably so consumed with the world and the lifestyle. She was probably part of every country club, uh, every uh, coupon Facebook thing that you can think of in the city of Sodom. She was so entrenched in that lifestyle that she could not fathom not being there. And second reason is because she didn't believe God. And she didn't believe her husband, obviously. Just like the son-in-law's reaction, her reaction when Lot said, it's going to happen. She didn't believe him. She had to look back and see for herself. And why wouldn't she? Lot has never been the spiritual leader in her home. He had never talked about things of God. Friends, today we, we know that as a country goes, so does the family. I should have said that the other way. As a family goes, so does the country. And you know why? The answer is pretty simple. Because that's how God designed it. That's how he created it. In the very beginning, he made man and woman. He performed the first marriage ceremony. He told them to be fruitful and multiply the earth and fulfill it. And, and what did he do? He made, he made them male and he made them female to be in a relationship together. And when we get off track from that lifestyle, we see the falling away of a city and a country here in Sodom. Sound like somewhere else you know? This is important stuff, folks. We are getting off track from God's plan, and we as the church must speak truth every chance that we get. But we must do it in love, right? Speak the truth in love. And so verse 27 through 29 here, these last verses that we're going to cover... 
says in verse 27, Early in the morning Abraham went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and all the land of the plain, and he saw that smoke was going up from the land like the smoke of a furnace. So it was when God destroyed the cities of the plain. He remembered Abraham and brought Lot out of the middle of the upheaval when he demolished the cities where Lot lived. Again, we see these two paths laid out. We see here that Lot, living for the world, had everything that he ever wanted, but it was destroyed in a matter of moments. His house was gone. His wife was gone. His lifestyle was gone. His security was gone. His 401k was gone. In next week's verses, we're going to see what his lifestyle caused his daughters to do. And then we see the path of Abraham. In verse 29, it says there, God remembered Abraham. And very likely that the only reason that Lot got pulled out, literally drugged out of Sodom, is because of Abraham's intercessory prayer that we saw last week that he lifted up to God, where he said, Will you not destroy the righteous with the wicked? And Abraham pleaded with God, What if you find 50 in Sodom that are righteous? God said, Okay. I won't, I won't destroy it for 50. And then he said 45. God said, okay. And then 40, and then 30, and then 20, and then eventually 10. And God said, if you find 10 righteous, I will not destroy Sodom. Well, guess what? What happened? It got destroyed. God could not find righteous people in Sodom. So Abraham's path here is the path of the Lord. I do want to... Go back at verse 26 for one quick sec, because this is important. In concerning Lot's wife and how she looked back, we cannot ignore the words of Jesus himself from Luke chapter 17, verse 32 and 33, when he said this. Jesus said, Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Here's Jesus. He knew this story. He knew exactly what was going on here. And he calls us today as Christians living under the new covenant to remember Lot's wife. Just like here we see God remembered Abraham. My question for you this morning, will God remember you? When your life on earth is over, will God say that he knew you? Matthew 10.32 says this, Jesus said, Therefore, anyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Are you acknowledging God in your life? Are your words acknowledging Him? Are your actions acknowledging Him? Are the things you're looking at acknowledging Him? Are the places you go acknowledge Him? Are there any lots here today? Righteous men who might be saved but living lifestyles that would say differently. Going places that you shouldn't go and doing things that you shouldn't do. So the question begs to be asked this morning, which of these two paths are you on? You might be here today and you may be struggling. You might be searching for answers and everywhere that you look ends up being a dead end. But I want to ask you this morning, what is keeping you from turning to Jesus today?
What's keeping you from it? One thing I know is you are not here today by chance. You're here today because of a divine appointment. It was ordained by God himself that you are here today. And you can take peace in that. You're here to hear the truth of God's word. You're here because God loves you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross so that we can have a relationship with him. Friends, life is precious, but it's fragile. The Bible says it is appointed once to die and then the judgment. Did you know that those of us who have accepted Christ, we are under the shed blood of Christ. So when God pours his judgment on us, we are covered by the blood. And we do not have to suffer the judgment. It says life is but a vapor, but eternity is forever. Do you know this morning that without a doubt where you would go if your time on earth came to an end today? A few of you in this room today remember October 5th, 2019 very, very well. It was the day that our friend and co-worker back then, Gustavo Hernandez, was just going on about his Saturday morning like he did so many times. He was driving a ready-mix truck like he had done for thousands and thousands of hours before. He was pulling into a business where he had pulled into thousands and thousands of times before. But this time, he did not see the train coming. For whatever reason, he did not see the train. Friends, you never know when our train's coming. You never know when God is going to say, I'm calling you home. I'm calling you away from this life on earth. What happens when that happens, when God calls us home, the only thing that will matter in this life is what have you done for Jesus? The way, you that, the way that you answer that one question is the only thing that matters. John 14, 6 says this, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4.12 says there's salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only answer for us today. In a crazy world, in the United States of America, in 2020, Jesus is the only way. And we know that these two paths that we've talked about this morning, we hear from Jesus in, cha in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, speaks to these. Enter through the narrow gate, Jesus said, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Jesus understood these two paths. He died so that we can take one of these paths. Friends, my prayer for you today is that you would choose the narrow path and go God's way. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we come to you right now just so, so thankful for your son Jesus. For what he did for us on the cross. God, we're so thankful for what you've done in our lives. We're so thankful to be able to meet in this wonderful building this morning so that we can hear a word from you. 
And we're so thankful that we know that your word does not return void. So God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to move, that your Holy Spirit would convict us where we need convicting and change us when we need change. So God, we we pray for a special anointing of your Holy Spirit to move throughout this congregation today. We pray this in Jesus' name.